Hey everybody, Martin here. Just wanted to give you a quick introduction to episode 98 of the Marginless Trap Show podcast hour. You'll notice that the beginning of the episode uh, that you're listening to right now didn't start with theme music because uh, last week, uh, my brother, who was also the guest, uh, Greg Lestraps, he hijacked the episode and in so doing presented a, a new theme song that put a very nice glossy shine uh, on himself while, um, you know, shitting on me a little bit. I I don't know exactly how he managed to pull that off, but he did. So for this week's episode, I wanted to ensure that you would not hear that song again. Uh, also, uh, th- this week's episode, it's going to be part two of my conversation with my, with my brother, Greg Lestraps. And last week's episode, which was part one, it got uh, it got such a tremendous response, which uh, Greg and I were both very surprised and humbled by, in particular because neither one of us likes to listen to him talk. So we were we were pleasantly surprised that so many of you uh, en- enjoyed it. So uh, so uh, for that reason, the part two of our conversation, uh, I'm presenting with a little a little a little extra production value, if you will. So, uh, so I hope you enjoy. I, I hope you enjoy the extra bells and whistles, uh, and also, uh, I hope I hope you enjoy uh, this episode, which will begin with the traditional theme song of the Marginless Trap Show podcast hour. I, I guess as a quick, uh, I don't know, a quick reminder, sort of a, a recap of sorts. Uh, last week, uh, Greg talked for about an hour. And uh, he left off uh, with with uh, with me asking him about his time performing in the Roxy uh, during during the eighties, and he uh, he cut me off like a bully, and essentially uh, said, "I will talk about the Roxy when I goddamn well please, asshole." Which you know, paraphrasing, but I mean, you heard the episode. That's that's pretty much what he said. So anyway. Uh, I've been assured by my producer that uh, this week's episode, episode 98, uh, everything is uh, above board. All the bells and whistles are in place. And most importantly, the traditional theme song of the Marginless Trap Show podcast hour is queued up. So without further ado, here is the second installment of my three-part conversation with my big brother, Greg Lestraps. Oh, hell no. Nice going, pal. You've just unleashed the fury of the new and improved Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour, starring Greg Lestraps. The show that used to give you an inexplicable urge to crochet macrame potholders, but now makes you feel like you're getting blown by a $3,000 a night call girl with a mouthful of coke. So unbuckle your saddles, ladies, because you're about to ride bareback with the host of the new and improved Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour, starring Greg Lestraps. This guy, you dingleberry. So at the Gallery Theater, um, the first play that I did there was The Wizard of Oz. Um, Mark Shipley was a um, – he was very deliberate, uh, very deliberate about how he spent money. Mm-hmm. And he decided he didn't want to spend the money licensing the songs from the film <laughs> <laughs> or, or the script. Uh, so what he did was he hired an unknown – playwright um and composer uh, lyricist his name is michael ricciardi okay michael ricciardi and his partner randy uh, randy ames uh rewrote 
the script to The Wizard of Oz in its entirety, wrote all new songs and all new soundtrack to The Wizard of Oz, and that's uh, and that's the uh, the play that that ended up being produced. And I was uh, one of the Munchkins in The Wizard of Oz. I, was that? Uh, did you dye your hair red? Was that no? The, that was another. That okay. Because uh, I have a memory of that. That was another Michael Ricciardi adaptation of the of the play Cheaper by the Dozen, <laughs> okay. which he rewrote and <laughs> as a musical and wrote songs for that. And that was also produced by Mark Shipley at, and directed by Mark Shipley at the Gallery Theater. All the kids are red haired, so I had to dye my hair red for for that production. <laughs> and um, let's see. So I did the Wizard of Oz. I was rehearsing a number <laughs> on stage, and Mike Ricciardi, the playwright and co-composer uh, of the songs, what, he was also playing the Cowardly Lion, <laughs> was backstage, I think, getting into makeup or costume or something like that, and I was singing, and as he says, uh, and then I heard that voice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he came out to see who was singing. It was me. Next thing you know, he's written a musical based on another book called Skylark uh, with imagining Mm -hmm. me playing the the lead character, which was, you know, it's it was it it wasn't such a big surprise to me because people People celebrities, celebrities, celebrities celebrities that I didn't know would come to see me in plays (laughs) applaud only for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, obviously, of course, somebody is going to write a play for me starring a vehicle for my talents. So um, we showcased that and workshopped it and um, which was kind of which was a fun process. And we recorded songs. I sit here by the window and I watch the world at play. And I wonder if it's just as sad as me And I watch the trees a-tremble As the wind blows leaves away And my life have no more meaning Than a blowing leaf today Will I ever know about love? Why do I feel abused? Can the answer that I need be as simple as a seed Oh, why am I so suddenly confused? She says she loves me He says he loves me How can that be? For one is kind and one is cruel If both the same that I'm a fool I recording studio was doing stuff with michael back when recording studio there were no recording studios Mm -hmm. there were no project studios there might have been but recording equipment was way too expensive so the only people who could buy real recording equipment had to make they had the money to build real studios so um so yeah so we uh finally uh we ended up doing an equity waiver production of skylark at uh, what was the name of it? it? It's a it's a performing arts school, Newbridge Performing Arts School. I it might even still be there in somewhere in West LA on Robert, okay. Robertson 
Um, we did that. I won, I won some awards for that. I got some very nice reviews. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool being a kid. I was, I was probably 12 years old at the time. Um, this is in the early 80s, like 81, maybe. Uh, and being a, being a young kid and having all of the adults in the production hate you. <laughs> and be not, and be not nice to you because they didn't get reviews as as good as yours. It's a you know you, yeah you figure it out. It's like you learn. Let actors can be actors can be pretty vicious, even uh, even to kids. Even. <laughs> so um, but but I and I won a drama log. Drama log was um, now it's called Backstage West to Trade Magazine, mm-hmm. kind of like the Daily Variety. Um. And I got a Dramalog Critics Award for my performance in Skylark. From there, I went to the Roxy and okay. started doing Let's Put On a Show. However, yeah. before Skylark, I auditioned for Let's Put On a Show. It was actually playing at the Laugh Stop in Encino, I think. Okay. I did not get into the show. What? I auditioned for the show. They passed. They cast without me. The show ran for like a year and a half. Or a year, maybe it was a year. I don't know. Some of it's all foggy. But um, I got the call. Hey, Greg, want to come? Uh, maybe be in our show now that you know. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I didn't know why they passed on me in the first place, but obviously they had come to their senses. Yes. It was moving to the Roxy nightclub from the Laugh Stop, which is a big move. Mm-hmm. Lou Adler was letting a bunch of kids take over his nightclub, which is kind of at Lou Adler's. He's the guy that goes to all the Lakers games, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. how I know him. Jack Nicholson's buddy that goes <laughs> to all the Lakers games. But he was a big film producer, music producer. He discovered Cheech and Chong, produced those albums, no, to, no uh, produced their first uh, films. No, Lou Adler was the guy. No wonder he can afford to He still to is the guy. What am I saying? Row. Lou Adler is still the guy. But, um, yeah, so then we went, uh, so they moved to the Roxy, they called me up. As it turns out, there was another guy in the show. He was the male singer in the show. And he hadn't been showing up to performances <laughs> as regularly as they would have liked. Uh-huh. I was kind of brought in to lure him back. <laughs> <laughs> so that he would feel replaceable. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came back. And then it, it turns out I was replaceable. <laughs> I didn't really... I was like the guy singer for one or two shows. Then he came back and said, oh, no, you don't. And uh, so then I had to kind of redefine myself and what my purpose was in the show. And that's kind of when I started. I started um, at the same time, not because of this, but I just had been starting to teach myself piano. Okay. I actually did that because for the for the reason I do most things, I learn how to do most of the things I can do is that I don't. Like I don't, I, I don't like relying on people to, mm-hmm. because I had a, an accompanist, a very, you know, really great piano player. But whenever I had like a gig or something, you know, sometimes he wasn't available. And then he was the only piano player I knew. And then I had to turn down jobs because I didn't have a piano player. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought, you know what, I have got to learn how to play the piano. So, you know, so that there, I'm always going to have a piano player, right. When I show up. And so right around the same time, you know, I was doing stuff outside of the Roxy and going on auditions, I had an agent and doing TV commercials and um, whatnot. Not, not really big. Nothing that you would have ever seen, <laughs> believe me. 
Um, but yeah, then, um, then I, so I started being not just the guy singer. I was the guy singer who played piano, Mm -hmm. but also I loved comedy and, you know, I, um, I was, I started doing more comedy in the show and the director was really great. And he allowed myself and Mark Price, Mm -hmm. um, who was to be Skippy Skippy. and not too many years from him. Um, he allowed us to write sketches and do our own comedy bits. And sometimes they were musical comedy bits. Then the song, the people who wrote the songs for the original songs for the show, uh, Jimmy Gitter, who was just not only a brilliant piano player, but just the most clever lyricist. And Catherine Reynolds was also, she was the other piano player. Um, they had very different styles of piano playing, but Jimmy wrote just the most hilarious songs. He was a comic genius to my mind. And, um, he, he would write, he wrote a song or two for me to sing. Um, so that became my thing. I sort of, I wasn't just the guy who belted out the songs. I was the guy who came out and, you know, hopefully made people laugh singing, you know, whatever funny songs playing the piano. (laughs) And, um, yeah. So then this was getting, I was becoming a teenager. Mm -hmm. I hadn't really booked too much stuff. Kids incorporated. I turned down because my agent recommended that I turn it down because it was a non-union show. Okay. The pilot. Mm -hmm. After the pilot, it became a union show. And, oh. But it was too, I would already, you know. I never knew you turned it down. I just, I just assumed yeah. you didn't get it. No, I auditioned for it and, a, and a, yeah, yeah. She said, my, my, my agent said, no, I still, do I, it's I, a bad idea. I have very clear memories of watching the, the pilot episode and seeing all these, I mean, there are kids, but when I was a kid, they were, they, they felt like adults. You and know? even thinking to yourself, hey, my brother should be on this Yeah. Show. Like I've seen all the performance. I, yeah, I was thinking, yeah, yeah. I was, it was like, well, I mean, that's cool. Oh, you know. It's actually amazing. I have, a, I have a, you know, it's a short list, but there, it's an impressive list of things that I might have been in. That <laughs> I did. Piper was trying to. She wanted me to tell you. I was actually cast as a Treyu in the Neverending Story. I I remember. Well, you know what I was going to say. I I remember something to do with the Neverending Story when I was a kid. I, our parents never told me that I was cast, which was a good thing. I just assumed that I didn't get it. Uh-huh. But what actually happened was I was cast. They lost their financing. Uh. And then they didn't, I guess, regain their financing for like two or three years. I had way outgrown the part. But mm-hmm. I was taking horse riding lessons. To I, I just figured I was going just to be really good at the audition, at the, at the next callback or something. <laughs> To go in and be able to tell them, oh, yeah, of course I ride a horse. Because I did tell them in the audition that yeah. I rode a horse. Yeah, well, that's what you and do. And I had never gone anywhere near a horse. But <laughs> I said, oh, absolutely, I'm expert horse person. Chanel loves The NeverEnding Story. so she's, It's a great movie. She's going to love this it's story. It's a great movie. And actually, if you look at the kid because who played Because she hates Atreyu, you, he's, so she'll really love this story. He's very, I know, he's very, he looks very kind of like a younger Greg. In fact, they said, we want a Greg type. 
Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's what went out to that was in the breakdowns at all the agencies. We went to Greg Lestrap's type, and all the agents knew exactly what and they were doing. And they were like, oh, oh, yeah. oh they're okay. like the kid from uh, Annie Get Your Gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Claremont kids, yeah, yeah, him. But you know, like Greg, what about Greg Lestrap? Yeah. No, nah, no, nah, he's he's a little bit too old for the part. But if you can get us a, a Greg type from like three <clears throat> years ago, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Now, so I, it's so I so I began to get being being humbled <laughs> very very early on, and it's uh, it's been you know what my actually my my show business career has been a very humbling experience like <laughs> from the still to this day you know it's it's uh, you know they, right about that time so I'm hitting my teen years and I started getting acne mm-hmm. and not just kind of getting acne. Mm-hmm. Not just like some kids, oh, you have a few zits. Oh. I was like the guy who was just riddled mm-hmm. with with zits, right? <clears throat> and one day, my agent requested that we come in to the office. So our parents drove me to my agent's office, and I'm thinking, oh, wow, this must be pretty big. I wonder if I got a movie or something <laughs> like that. And what happened was uh, my agent said look, we can't send you out looking like that. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> <laughs> like literally those exact words. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. So, you know, we have some stuff that you can do, but we can't send you out for parts anymore. They were basically firing me, but they dragged it out a little. Uh-huh. They they kept their word. They did not send me out on any more auditions. <laughs> But what they did do is they, if they found out about like an extra, mm-hmm. somebody needed some extras for something, they threw me that bone mm-hmm. because apparently you, you don't have to have a, a, a good complexion <laughs> to be an extra in TV shows. But I, but I was, uh, that's when I, Three's Company yeah. came my way. So I actually was an extra on Three's. I had a little featured thing though. I, I can was, tell you both episodes. It was by in the way. a roller ring. It was called um, Diamond Jack. Mm-hmm. It was an episode called Let me tell you Diamond what it's Jack. about. Tell me what it's about. That's the one where uh, somebody steals diamonds, mm-hmm. and uh, Jack and or Chrissy <laughs> or Janet, they end up with the diamonds. And uh, and I remember, uh, I think uh, maybe Chrissy or, or somebody saw the diamonds, and, and Jack or somebody said they're not real diamonds, because if they were real diamonds, they would cut this glass on the mirror, and they took it a diamond. But and sure enough, glass. what happened? It, it was a real diamond. It cut that glass. Yes, yeah. it did. Actually, yeah. That's all I remember about the episode. Yeah, so they um they thought that Jack was the fence mm. because the fence was supposed to meet the sexy lady because <laughs> it has to be a sexy lady who's going uh to uh drop off the diamonds. The sexy lady's supposed to meet the fence. Jack is supposed to meet be meeting a blind date. Mm-hmm. And guess who he meets instead of his blind date? The sexy lady with the diamonds. She thinks he's the fence. Mm. She gives him the diamonds. He goes home. He thinks something else is in the bag, and he just goes, "Oh my god, I have a bag! My bag is filled with diamonds!" And then it just gets crazy from there because the hijinks that uh, that you were used to watching, yeah. on Three's Company. But the- I, my part was I was at the roller rink, mm-hmm. and there there was no roller rink. It was not. <laughs> it was basically you saw the snack bar, mm-hmm. and then you saw a partial floor that was supposed <laughs> to be the roller rink. And then it's just cameras and then studio audience. There's like, so I had to skate across from one side of the frame to the other. And then quietly, <laughs> I, I'm, you know, in my roller skates, tiptoe on my brakes 
you know, trying to avoid cables and so, you know, <laughs> and not trying not to fall on my face and then ruin the entire take and then having to do it all over again, but behind the cameras and around, not make any noise and then skate again <laughs> from, from one side of the frame. And then when we got to commercial, they said, Hey, Greg, can you do a spin? <laughs> Actually, they didn't say, Hey, Greg, they said, Hey, you in the gray shirt. Uh, can you do a spin the next time you, and I said, Oh, because back then, Rancho Cucamonga, Roller City, Absolutely. was on um, Haven and Foothill, and I spent a lot of time at Roller City. Um, I loved loved roller skating. I loved roller skating. Yeah, it was amazing. So I, you know, so I had some I had some roller skating skills. So I was able to do a, a little turn as the show went to commercial. And I'll tell you why that was a great performance. Act. Because in my memory, there was a roller rink. You've just yeah. you've just shattered shattered a that memory. image. Yeah. No, there was it was not even close to. <laughs> but it was but it was an amazing experience. And I have to say, I, because I will take any opportunity to say it, John Ritter is one of the nicest human beings, let alone celebrities, I've ever met. There was no John Ritter was the one of one of the most famous people in this oh country God, at the yeah. time. And he didn't have to be nice to anyone he didn't need to be nice to. And I was just this random kid being an extra on a show with a bad complexion. And he was super <laughs> nice to me. He was yeah. very, very, very nice, very nice person. Like he didn't say, hey, man, don't skate too close to me because I don't want to see that. <laughs> he never said that. He never said that. And he was, yeah, and he was very nice. And he, um, you know, um, and he was really professional. It's like you have the... And again, this is one of those you you are exposed to the right people at the right time, ideally. And, you know, this is a guy. And like I said, he's the most famous guy on television at the time. And he was so, it wasn't he wasn't just nice to me. He was nice to everybody. Mm-hmm. He's nice to everybody on the set. And he was professional. And he was, because they're let me tell you, some of those actors, I'm not going to name any names because I can't remember their names because <laughs> they're not as famous. They didn't end up being as famous as John Ritter. Does but, it rhyme with Mr. Burley? No, no. He was actually, that was the biggest disappointment, I think, at the time when I found out that I was doing this is that um, Don Knotts was not in this episode. Oh, that would have been disappointing. But it it was during the Terry years. Okay. Yeah. Um, Terry was there and Janet. No, some of the other actors were not very nice (laughs) because they didn't feel like they had to be nice to a kid like me. So, no. Like actors who would have been like featured with their name in the credits? No, no, principals. Principals on the show were just not nice people. John Ritter stood in stark contrast. I look forward to asking for names when the microphones are off. I will will say. I I can also give you the the synopsis of your appearance on Different Strokes. That See, that that, there were two appearances on Different Strokes. I was, no, it actually, great. They were like, that kid in the striped shirt did such a good job. This week, let's have him back. We need we need kids in the school hallway again. I can next see. Week. I can see or at the two, carnival or whatever. See the carnival. I remember because the carnival was um, so it was a uh, let's see Willis and Arnold uh, were were the brothers. Uh, Arnold got electrocuted doing at, at the carnival, mm-hmm. and Willis uh, was you know too uh, sort of insecure, I guess, to give a mouth to mouth resuscitation because <laughs> he didn't. I, I don't. I'm sure they didn't use the word gay on TV in the episode. But I think the implication was that, you know, he didn't want to do that. So he nearly let his brother die because he didn't want to do that. Right. Um, and then, yeah, I, I remember later uh, Arnold, uh, you know, Willis came home and he was upset. And Arnold, Saving your brother's life is so gay. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I remember Arnold like kicking him out of the house, right. and like Willis left. I remember thinking like he can do that. He's, he doesn't even own the house. That's crazy. Right. But at the carnival, because that's where that was kind of the the core of the episode. You were one of the extras at the carnival. Yes. And then uh, the other episode I completely forgot about, but I do have a memory of you walking through the school hallway. But I don't remember that episode. I don't. I don't either. Yeah, frankly, probably, I suppose it probably doesn't matter. You could probably find me at some point. There, but if you find the carnival episode, it was around this it was the same season it was an episode or two Mm -hmm. away from it so now the star of stars of each of those respective shows john ritter and gary coleman today in 2015 are no longer with us and your name yet again Mm -hmm. not mentioned that's true that's very true next topic oh okay yeah no no yeah there's not i don't have a lot of uh memories that i can talk about uh (laughs) (laughs) relate to different strokes um, Dudley and I were pretty tight, but we, it's not, we didn't become friends. Yeah. We, we were friends. We, you know, we were, uh, you know, work friends. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I knew that, but that's cool. Oh, no, no. We, I was there for what? Four days, five yeah. days, you know, I will say the facts of life was shooting in another studio mm-hmm. just down the hall, d- down the hall, one of the other sound stages. And, um, when we had dinner, uh, the facts of life girls would come and eat our food. <laughs> they had their own food and they were eating that too. <laughs> I, I just remember, you know, cause I had to wait, you know, you can't just go serve yourself ahead of the principles from the show. Right. But I was like, okay, but these aren't even principles from this show. <laughs> these are just people from another show coming and eating our food. But I don't know if you've, Go back and watch Facts of Life. Uh, start at the first episode, and you can see those girls yeah. enjoyed their craft services. Yeah, well, listen, you know what they say. You take the good, you take the bad. Yeah. You take it all. They take it all. And then you have. Oh, there's roast beef. I was going to say the there, Facts there of There was life. no roast beef for Greg. There was no roast beef left. No, maybe some mashed potatoes. I know. I, I feel like one of the girls, like on like years later, maybe on a, one of those sort of nostalgia, you know, talking head shows. Mm-hmm. Um, reference that at some point they were called the fats of life. Oh, that's just not nice. It's not nice. They were they were sweet. I'm sure they were. They were nice, but I, I don't know if they were being nice because they were nice or nice because we're eating your food. Eating your so food. I guess we better be nice to we'll you. We'll be kind of nice. Um, I you know, when you were a young adult, I have a lot of memories of you performing music and having bands and singing and doing a lot of clubs around <clears throat> L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at this point, it's almost it almost feels like. It's funny. It almost feels like a, a blip, but for a lot, for a large chunk of time, that was kind of the the center of what you were doing. Doing, yeah, I was doing a lot of music. I'm just drifting. I wake up in the morning. I cruise to the end of the day. There's no substance. There's no surface. My existence lacks a purpose. Cause no one cares about what I've got to say. I'm a stick, yeah. I travel from town to 
I formed this game plan into my head that this is this is my life plan. Okay, I love making movies. Mm-hmm. That's like my favorite thing. I love making movies. And uh, and that uh, I should just uh, to go back the Z Channel. <laughs> anyway, the Z Channel was um, that showed up around the time we moved to Rancho Cucamonga. There weren't very many cable stations. There was on which was a service select with select TV, which mm-hmm. was another service. They showed movies that, you know, you would second run movies, maybe some old movies, but mostly movies that were just in the theater. And then Z, the Z channel came along and I don't need to go too much. There's a do- brilliant documentary about the Z channel. Um, and I don't magnificent obsession is what it's called. Go find it. It's a great movie, a documentary about the Z channel. The Z channel was how I was uh, exposed to film, like classic film, art house film and foreign film. And Rancho Cucamonga at the time, the closest to theater, the closest movie theater was like a 10 minute drive in Upland Mm -hmm. that on mountain. It was the man mountain green over on mountain. It's not there anymore. There's a, I think it's Kohl's. a network. There's a Kohl's in that oh. shopping center now. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> um, but yeah, you, you, the, and those, there were only like two screens, I think two, mm-hmm. maybe three screens or something, but they showed like the most popular movies, right? There was no way I was going to ever see an art house film or a foreign film or a classic film in Rancho Cucamonga. Even if I could get to a theater, I ended up seeing classic films, but they're cla- contemporary classics. That the, they weren't even classics at the E.T. Yeah. I saw the Man Mountain Green, you know, which would eventually become a classic. But it's not the same thing as being able to watch 2001 mm-hmm. or being able to watch The Elephant Man mm-hmm. or the entire James Bond uh, canon. And the Z Channel was amazing. It, so I got to see all these movies that I never would have been exposed to before. They were like nothing I'd ever seen before. And not only that, the Z channel, they sent you a monthly Z channel guide, but it wasn't just a guide. It was a guide with a schedule, Mm -hmm. but they had articles written by, you know, people, FX Sweeney, who writes, you know, for the LA weekly now, or he has, I think he's like editor or something. Um, Writing these passionate articles about the making of films and, that's how I knew what a film director, hmm. uh, what, what a film director did and what his job was and what was expected of him and what he contributed to a production. Because back then, nobody, people didn't want to be movie directors. Kids didn't want, now everybody right. wants to be a movie director. But nobody even knew what a movie director did at that time. And certainly if you lived in Rancho Cucamonga in the middle of nowhere, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, nobody, nobody there knew, could tell me, oh, you know, what you're doing with your friends, you're, you're being a film director. It was just something that I knew I liked. And then once I started, we got the Z channel and I'm reading the magazine. I'm like, Oh, they're, this is like what I do. And I, and then you, I learned tons of things and I knew what to look for in movies and how to deconstruct movies mm-hmm. at a very young age, just from reading the Z channel guide and then watching the films that uh, they showed every month and talked about. So, but that's not what we were talking. About. No, but I mean, it's connected because you decided that this I remember because you told me about it. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Once yeah. upon a time was that you were going to take your ability of, of, of music. Yeah. And you were going to 
parlay that into a filmmaking career, but yeah, I'll let you because, fill in the blanks. Yeah, so, yeah, being a singer, because I sing, you know, like, people pay me to sing. I sing well. I'm yeah. good at it. Um, I've worked hard at being good at it. Yeah, celebrities come out, they applaud for <laughs> you. <laughs> Linda Ron- just ask Linda Ronstadt. Yeah. Okay? She'll tell you, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, I, um, but it's kind of what people, everybody expected of me was that Greg's Greg sings well so he's a singer that's what he does and you can't really tell people you know no I what I want to direct movies because it's not like singing you can immediately show someone that you can sing mm-hmm. but you can't just if someone said you, you you know you're not going to ever end up at a party and oh you're a film director direct a film for me right now <laughs> right. Let, let's see what you can do that never happens and even if that did happen that's, that's ridiculous mm-hmm. you know so it was just it was the thing that people expected of me, and I just figured, you know what, I'm gonna stop. It's not like I was fighting anybody. It's just that it's not what I wanted for mm-hmm. myself. I enjoy it, and I still enjoy it. But my the thing that I love more than anything is is filmmaking. Um, that's if I you know were to spend my time. That it's that's what I would do. Yeah, if you had to put a number on it, how many weddings have you been asked to sing in? I could not, <laughs> I could not put a number on it. I, yeah, I don't, I don't enjoy weddings anymore <laughs> at all. Going to them or singing at them, which I sang at your wedding, but that's different. Yeah. It's like, you know, you're, you're my brother. So of yeah. course, if you want me to sing at your wedding, I'm going to sing at your wedding. But it was kind of like, I, and it, it was like fa- singing at family weddings, but we have such an enormous family. Huge. And then it's like, you know, it kind of got to the point where people I didn't really know or grow <laughs> like, like our dad would have to sit me down and pull out a family tree, basically, and explain <laughs> this is how you're tenuously related to this person who wants you to. But, you know, you sing at one wedding and then somebody's there who's going to be getting married soon. Yeah. And they want you to sing at a wedding. And yeah, so that's a drag. But eventually you came back around to, uh, I mean, like you said, you didn't just like drop music altogether, but you did. No, sort I of enjoyed re- doing it. And that's why I did, you know, Richard and I wrote songs. I started songwriting at that age, but it was like, but that was like, it was something fun to do. And I, and I definitely enjoyed doing it. And it is something that I enjoy doing. Yeah. It's not, it's not, yeah. it's not the thing. But there was definitely I, a point where you, you consciously reinvested yourself into filmmaking. Be- into music or filmmaking film oh yeah well because i'd spent like nine years in la playing you know with bands and writing songs and playing clubs and not really because my plan was i'm gonna be a rock star Mm -hmm. i'm gonna do that i'm gonna go play some clubs i'll get signed to a major label sell some really big albums and I'm going to take all the millions of dollars that mm-hmm. I make and I'll just finance my own films. And then I'll, that was my plan. And not a single person around me told me that that was a bad idea. <laughs> I don't blame anybody, but nobody's there. Oh, well, if that's what you want to do, go give yeah. it a shot, which is nice that people have that. Oh, that, that, that's, Hey, you sound like you're pretty sure about that. Good. <laughs> best of luck to you. But no, nobody ever said, no, maybe you should stay in school. Like your old agent didn't, didn't come into the picture and say, Hey, Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> Nobody, no. But then that's the thing is like people, people enjoy the music and, uh, and I, you know, and I start, when I stopped playing clubs is almost precisely the moment that I could 
fill a club (laughs) (laughs) with people that are just there to see me. But that was kind of like, you know, who knows? Maybe I would have had a major record deal Mm -hmm. if I had kept playing clubs for another six. Because I had literally just gotten to that point where it's like, you know, I started playing clubs in literally empty seats except for six people. Yeah. Six wonderful people. But I would be like mad at them because there there weren't other people (laughs) with them. So I was, you know, it it was at this point where it's something that, you know, this is not going to help me make movies, people. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you have to you have to bring friends. Um, And yeah, so but then, you know, I just did it and kept doing it and kept doing it. And then I got people at the clubs knew who I was and I didn't have to twist any arms to get bookings at clubs and people would show up and, and, um, yeah. And then people actually liked, you know, people would know the songs and, uh, it was, it was nice. And, um, but that, but it wasn't, you know, I, it was, it's so hard, um, motivating other people mm-hmm. to keep doing stuff when, you know, it's like, we've been doing this for so long and it's like, you know, and then sometimes musicians show up. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they, we don't need a rehearsal. I've played the song a million, but it's like you know, I don't want to go in front of an audience with that. At right. least running through the songs once or twice, because um, it's not like we were doing shows every week. It was like yeah. once a month I would do a show, maybe twice a month. Um, so it just got it just wasn't fun. Mm-hmm. And I think if it, if I were as passionate about that as I am about like you know making films, I probably would have stuck it out. Yeah. But I didn't, it was something that I was just kind of doing for another purpose and it wasn't getting me closer to that. So I ran into, um, that's what Carissa and I had started dating somewhere in there at the end of my, uh, club. I <laughs> know <laughs> probably even she, no, she was probably there when I first started playing clubs with my band. Yeah. Like my memory of, 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 uh, of sort of meeting her at the very least when I was a, was a teenager was you guys were sort of performing at some of the same clubs. She was, she was in the show at the Roxy. Let's yeah. I mean that too. Like I'm sure I met her as a kid, but I didn't have a memory of it. I've known her for a long time, but no. So anyway, we started, um, Oh, and then I met a friend of hers, uh, Eric. Yeah. Shiritz, AKA Eric Donald, mm. AKA Benny Coma. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we were introduced and, you know, and Carissa said, you know, oh, you guys are going to love each other. We met at the Beverly Center on the escalators, you know, one of the landings in mm-hmm. between escalators and briefly met. And, yeah, she's like, oh, you guys would get along really well. And I'm like, oh, OK, well, then we got our separate ways. And, <laughs> and then I ran into him at a party uh, not too long after that. And then we had a chance to talk and get and we hit it off. We were very good friends. Mm-hmm. Um Best friends, you might say. Yeah. I'm Eric Donald. Donald, Donald, Donald. I've been an animation writer, a lounge singer, a construction worker, a puppet, a popper, a pirate, a poet, a pawn, and a king. I'm 36 years old. I got a 12 inch and I love to bluff. I pick myself up and get back in the race. Right now, I'm between careers. I will do anything for money. Are you listening, Barry Manilow? And and, uh, he was a screenwriter. And at the time, I was working at Jersey Films Mm -hmm. as a production assistant. That was Danny DeVito's production company? Yeah. And um, 
And they also had me, um, one of the producers um, in particular liked my script. They just, every, they ask everybody to try script coverage, but I really, I kind of dug it. Mm-hmm. It was a way better than being a production assistant. I mean, I was still had to do my production assistant oh. stuff, but there was a lot of downtime. So What's script coverage? So script coverage is a production company, people submit scripts mm-hmm. from agents. Agents subscript, uh, send, submit scripts to uh, production companies. Somebody has got Danny DeVito's not going to read a script that just showed up. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to read it beforehand and let him know what they think of it. Same thing with all the nobody wants to waste their time because, and I can tell you this from experience, ninety five percent of the scripts that I read were just terrible. <laughs> but on the if you're a writer, if you're you know if you're out there writing, just know. All those people had agents. <laughs> so you don't have to be the best writer to get yourself an agent and get yourself, uh, get your stuff into. Uh, I remember when you were doing company. that, you told me that you, uh, you know, this is before it came out, but you told me about this amazing script, the Truman show. Yeah. That you'd read. Yeah. Well, that was actually, it was something that was already in production when, but it was kind of my, um, script coverage audition piece. Right. They already knew what they thought of the Truman Show, uh-huh. so that was their sort of test to see right. what I would say about it. And so luckily, re- you know, it's brilliant, yeah. brilliant, brilliant. Andrew Nichol wrote that, mm-hmm. and uh, he didn't. He the first film he directed was another Jersey film called Gattaca. Oh, sure, which I enjoyed immensely, and he was a very, very nice person. Um, I mistook him for his assistant <laughs> and he wasn't, a, he wasn't an asshole about it. <laughs> I don't know why I thought an assistant would be able to afford that suit, <laughs> but I, I have, I'm delivering this for Mr. Nickel. Yeah, he pays well. He pays well. I want to work for him. <laughs> um, yeah, Jersey film. It was, um, I have to say one of, one of the most miserable professional <laughs> experiences of my life. It was a very, um, a lot of unhappy people there. A lot of unhappy. Some of the unhappy people were running the company. Not mm. Dan- Danny DeVito is terrific. And the DeVito family is just lovely. Um, but there were some, uh, yeah. In, any theories on what the unhappiness was based in? It's they're just show folk, man. Oh. You know, just some, it's... <laughs> That's just how it is. It's like you don't I don't think you have HR departments. <laughs> you probably do, but you, because you have to. But just so much stuff gets said and done to especially at that time to production assistants. Oh, because you know, you're low man on the totem pole. Got it. And uh, unlike John Ritter, yeah. they did not feel they they <laughs> didn't have to be nice to me and they weren't. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, but, but there were, there were people who were wonderful to me Mm -hmm. too as well, but on the whole, most people there were very unhappy, uh, and it was kind of a drag. So anytime, so being able to do script coverage meant I was in a room by myself (laughs) reading, uh, reading a new story. And even though they weren't the best, Mm -hmm. it sort of clarified for me in my mind, Mm -hmm. what constitutes a good script oh yeah so you you can learn a lot by reading a bad script Mm -hmm. why is this boring me (laughs) you know at this point i should by now at this at this point in the story i should be totally engaged 
and then thinking about why I'm not because it because not only do you have to read it, you have to fill out an entire report mm-hmm. describing why you liked it or didn't like it, and uh, you had to rate different sections of it: originality and uh, structure and character development and all that kind of stuff, and break down the script so that when it gets handed to the next person, they know what they're only only the the cream right basically or what I consider or the other mm-hmm. script coverage people considered were the cream. And one of the producers, um, Polly, uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't remember her last name. She was <laughs> lovely and she went on, she moved on to Warner brothers and she's probably, yeah, I probably should have moved to Warner brothers with her, mm-hmm. but she loved my script coverage. She totally trusted my, um, opinions on, on films. And, yeah. Any, any scripts you remember reading that Jersey film produced? No. <laughs> no. But I can tell you, I, I think back then, and probably still now, everybody's, it's all about adaptations. Oh. Nobody's, sure. you know, and judging by how the quality of the original screenplays that were coming in, it, I, it doesn't surprise me that <laughs> not a lot of original stuff went into production. And, you know, story departments, basically, as a production assistant, I made a lot of trips to comic book stores, <laughs> which was great for me, yeah. which is something that I enjoyed doing anyway. But that was it. You you get sent to a bookstore or a comic book store to buy something that they're thinking of um, buying the rights to to adapt into something. Jersey Films' uh, big claim to fame was Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. And they rode that bad boy <laughs> for as long as they possibly, probably to the bitter end. Um, it was, uh, and in fact, there was some, a lot of the script coverage that you would read from other people. Every script that came in was somehow compared to Pulp Fiction. <laughs> it was really pretty funny. I, you, uh, ironically enough, you sang at the Pulp Fiction. Was it the Academy Award party? There, yeah, the Pulp Fiction Oscar party. Danny DeVito uh, threw a party for the cast and uh, crew of Pulp Fiction, and they needed a band to come in and play the songs from the soundtrack as well as songs from the same era mm-hmm. as the soundtrack. And so they, I was, they hired me to put a band together, and uh, and it was awesome. That was actually it. Yeah. An amazing experience. Um, but yeah, we basically put together a set list and got all my friends a job. We got paid really nicely uh, to play for three hours or something like that. Nice. It was a daytime thing. It was the day before the Oscars. So it was that Sunday and it was uh, outdoors at uh, Danny and Rhea's lovely Beverly Hills mm-hmm. uh, estate in the backyard you got me a job there once i don't know if you remember that oh it was that's great it was uh I, I didn't get to meet uh, uh the devitos because it was it was the day after christmas because mm-hmm. they, they would throw these big christmas parties so i heard i wasn't invited yeah and then after the after the christmas party they would go on vacation to some you know some warm sandy place mm-hmm. and then you know then they, they they could afford to pay people to to break down and clean up after the party and so you got yeah. me a gig helping to uh, break down and clean up. Because they're not going to. They're not going to. Why would they? They should. They <laughs> shouldn't. Big Hollywood parties. No. <laughs> they they're not shouldn't. picking up trash and wa- washing um, dishes. No. They're. But but um, and you're going to have to help me remember the name because right this very second I'm drawing a blank. There was an actress hanging out. You know who she is. She was in. She was in Annie Hall. 
Um, oh, Carol Kane. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I can think of everything. Really, uh, really. Yeah, and tight. she was just kind of hang, walking around, hanging out in the backyard, and Neo, and the, like I, I, like I love Woody Allen and Annie Hall, so I think, but she was, you know, I, my memory of her was from I guess the nineteen seventy seven movie, um, so that was cool. Or but Taxi, I, Taxi was. Never she saw was, taxi. She was Andy Kaufman's wife. Never taxi. saw Taxi. Oh, dude. I mean, I, I've never avoided it. I don't think it was in heavy. I mean, I'm sure you can you can stream it, and I highly recommend you do it. It's I'll a look very, forward. Very, very good show. I'll look very forward. So, so yeah. So I got to see it, and and yeah, and I can bear the very, very nice uh, house. Yeah, and a nice family. They're a very nice family. Their kids. I were bet they are very sweet nice kids. And now their kids are all grown up. Mm-hmm. It's in, they're empty nesters now, the DeVitos. Now, if if uh, if you'll let me fast forward just a little bit, or or you can go backwards, whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. um, you eventually, you know, you were sort of uh, getting back into into the mindset of, of creating film. Mm-hmm. You started, uh, you know, uh, making short films, and you and you, well, you know, not not unlike apparently, we would record uh, the audio versions of, of comic books mm-hmm. and may, uh, probably other stuff I don't remember. Um, you were kind of plucking me from hanging out with the, with my new girlfriend Chanel, mm-hmm. and uh, and having me uh, act in some uh, some short films you were doing. Yeah, and in it, every short film, and it was an absolute. It was, it was. I remember it being just just the most fun in the world. And it's also it's also the time that I met Eric, you know, Benny Coma, yeah. Eric Donald. Yeah, and I, and I have to say that in my mind, even though you don't remember it, this is all just an extension of you recording comic books (laughs) when we were kids. It's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. It's just me, you know, but, and, and I have to say that it's, uh, as you, you know, travel through life in the entertainment industry, for me, making films, making music, I did, it it was how I played. That was my Mm playtime as a kid. And, uh, you know, I didn't, so instead of playing with trucks or playing cowboys and Indians, I was making movies about cowboys and Indians or, you know, whatever. And, um, to this day, it's like, I approach like every project I do, I approach it as it's, you know, I do it because I enjoy doing it and because I'm playing, but you get to a point where all your friends who were your playmates, um, have to make a living. Yeah. And then it's like, and then playtime has a, you know, there there can be like a, you know, a sales sticker attached to it, <laughs> you know, so it's not. So if you want your friends to come out and play, you have mm-hmm. to figure out how, OK, well, I need to kind of come up with yeah. some money or, you know, just or you just find people who enjoy playing. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's kind of a heartbreaking thing for a, for a part of your life. And then you move on to another part of your life where everybody is like. God, I really, I, I used to actually enjoy doing this <laughs> and then you, and then it becomes playtime again. So it's, it's easier to, to get people to, to come and play. And I, I, I have really great memories of, uh, of, you know, hanging at spending countless weekends at your house in Burbank. One of my very favorite memories, uh, was, you know, like I would come out just, it seemed like if not every weekend, maybe every other weekend, just spend the night, we would hang out and stuff. And, uh, and so I, I remember going out and you were, you were antsy to work on something. And so I think on a Friday night, it was me, you, uh, Eric, were having dinner. Uh, there might have been some other people. But um, but you were saying, hey, let's make a movie tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, nothing was written. So Friday night, we stayed up and you sort of had an idea. And this, this was also about the time I was in my early 20s. And so I was at this point, I was... 
I was um, really engaged in learning how to be a writer and a storyteller. So this was sort of a fun opportunity for me mm-hmm. to try to craft something. And so we, we wrote... Um, you say crap something? I think I did. Okay. Which is exactly what I meant. No, I... Because I'm thinking, this is this will be no good. Let's crap <laughs> something. Yeah. Uh, so on a Friday night, we stayed up and you're know, writing and laughing. And then all day Saturday, like you were the living room, became our, our, our stage and our playground. And there was no costume, so you went through your closet. Oh, are you talking about it starts with feet? That's exactly what I'm oh, talking yeah. about. Oh, well, yeah. And, and I think what we decided was that we were going to... You were there for two days. And so we were going to write something yeah. today and shoot the entire thing the next day and then I and would, it was so much fun and people can and it's watch t- it it's still fun to they watch they can watch it right now it's fun to watch in yeah fact, on my Vimeo, just not that you, we're wrapping up but go ahead no 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 it's if you go to vimeo.com v-i-m-e-o it's a uh, movie you switch the letters around and it's movie oh shit that's where they i really didn't know that yeah. vimeo.com uh, just search Greg Lestraps. You'll find my profile. And, they can also get it off your website. That's one. Of, that's oh yeah, go to I my go. website. Go to greglestraps.com, yeah. for God's sake. Yeah, just that's go, All the films are there. And there's a video link to Vimeo, so it's either or. You can hear me sing. You can watch my movies. Yeah. You can read my blog. Yeah. I, one was, of these days, you'll I, update that bitch. I might. I might. I really enjoy doing my blog. It's the blogs just, you put up are great. But it's a full-time yeah. job. Oh, tell me about it. Doing a blog. Now, so right, does anybody really read blogs anymore? I don't. It's know. It's like Twitter. Kind of. People just want, yeah, know, a few characters at a time now. That's that. That's about all. So, so as far as the, the short films go, there was you know it starts. Well, actually, before it starts with feet, there was uh, you were for our, our niece Brianna when she was a little girl. You did the the Brianna show, and yeah. so and so then you kind of got the, me, the singing, dancing, reading a book past bedtime Brianna show. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you were, and uh, which was, which is still really great. So that, I don't think I have that online anymore. Uh, I, I think, well, I, I think I have it on DVD. Maybe I'll show it to you. Oh, I, I'm sure. No, I have it. Oh, it's not online. It's just not online. People Got can't, it. people can't. Okay. Well, in that, yeah. I don't want sure, to, I'm I don't, sure I have I didn't want to share my shit with you. Yeah. And, uh, and I have, so that's specifically, I was, mm-hmm. I was hanging out with my new girlfriend, Chanel, and kind of watching boxing. And then you said, Hey, come here for a second. And you didn't tell me what was happening. <laughs> and then for the next, I don't know, three or four hours, I was sort of improvising with you and Brianna. And it was great fun, except for Chanel was hanging out by herself. She didn't know what was happening. Yeah. But then, so that... Martin that, pretended to be a concert pianist. <laughs> like a, a, a maniacal concert pianist. Uh, I had very long hair, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. And it, and it was very curly and just kind of went up and away. Didn't actually yeah. grow down. And so that, and then starts with feet. And, and it was just, the, the, you know, the most fun. But all of that led up to a really fun project that you and Eric and your <clears throat> and, uh, and your friend Lee came up with called Razamazoo. So oh, what a place to stop. We were about to start talking about Razamazoo. And uh if if uh, if you know anything about uh about uh, about Greg and myself and uh then then, then you would know that uh, one of the projects uh, we collaborated on with a with a host of extremely talented folks, actors, writers, and the such, was a wonderful project called Razamazoo. But you're going to have to wait until next week with the final installment of this trilogy, this trilogy of episodes with my with my brother, my big brother, Greg the Straps, to hear about uh, Razamazoo and a whole bunch of other stuff. But in the meantime, you got to hear Greg sing as a little kid. That was adorable. You also got to hear a little bit of Greg, uh, some of his uh, original music, with a little snippet of the song Bumper Sticker, so I hope you enjoyed that. Now, uh, also during the course of uh, part two of this conversation, uh, 
Greg talked about uh, a couple of sitcoms that he had, he appeared on, primarily Three's Company and Different Strokes, two of my very, very favorite shows growing up as a kid. Uh, both of those shows, I suspect, are available in DVD on, on box set. I'd be very surprised if that's not true. Assuming it's true, I know that you can buy it on Amazon.com because you can get anything on Amazon.com. And you should get them. Just get the whole box set. Don't take any chances because you want to make sure you get the episodes that Greg actually that he actually appeared on. Uh, but before you go to Amazon.com, go to the official website of this podcast, which you'll find at martinlestrapsshow.com. Once you get there, go to the shop page, then click on the Amazon banner. It's going to take you to Amazon. Do all the same shopping you were otherwise going to do. Uh, but because you went to the official website of this podcast, Amazon in turn kicks back a few pennies our way. And we get to take those extra pennies and reinvest them into the show, which allows us to make the Martinless Trap Show podcast hour as good as we can possibly make it for you, which is what we strive to do week after week after week. Uh, also, if you're not already subscribed, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Uh, it'll make your life easy and convenient uh, and a, a whole lot more entertaining for your ear holes. If you're not an iTunes listener, uh, just go to Stitcher Radio, which you can find at stitcher.com. The show's also going to be there. You don't have to subscribe, but you can. Uh, and and in, in both cases, you can also leave comments, which we would appreciate, especially if you enjoyed the show. Even if you didn't like the show, leave a comment because, you know, whatever. I'm sure people would um, get some use out of you uh, talking shit, I guess. And, uh, and of course, don't forget to go to the official website from time to time, which, again, you'll find at martinlestrapshow.com, which, amongst other things, uh, has every single episode uh, ever. Plus, you can see, you know, pictures and shit. So, you know, whatever. Whatever. This is it. This is me wrapping up and running out of shit to say. So, uh, we'll be back next week for the, uh, for, for the conclusion of the Greg Lestraps trilogy. And, and also, I will be talking to my producer uh, about, uh, about really figuring out how Greg managed to shoehorn his new theme song into this episode after I received every assurance that that wouldn't be the case. Either way, it will not happen next week. I'm as sure of that as I am anything else. I would bet my very own money on that, that at the beginning of next week's episode, you will not hear Greg's new and original theme song to the Marginal Strap Show podcast hour. So, anyway, I'll get back to you guys next week um, with episode number 99. Episode 99, we are that much closer to episode 100, if you can believe it, so... Anyway, we're not there yet, though. We still got to get through episode 99. For actually, frankly, we have to get through episode 98, which will not stop, I guess, until I, until I stop talking. So now's as good a time as, that, as any for that, right? So let's do that. Let's do that. Let's, let's me stop talking. Just any, any, any second now, any time, any time I'm ready to stop talking, just, just go ahead and stop. All right, that wasn't bad. Cool. Well, until next time, I will see you on the other side.